real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John. You may know my guest today from the popular blog, Kindlepreneur, and he's also the creator of Publisher Rocket. Please welcome to the show, Dave Chesson. Thank you for having me here. And I am familiar with your story, but in case the listeners aren't, can you kind of give us your background and your story and how you got into Kindle books and creating Publisher Rocket? Yeah, well, the first thing I like to tell people is that I wasn't born a great writer, nor would I ever consider myself an amazing writer. I actually was born with dyslexia, and I fought through years of school believing that I wasn't meant to write. So it's kind of weird to be where I'm at now considering it all. And for me, I think this is very important because I didn't think of myself as an Ernest Hemingway or far from it. I instead had to approach writing from a different route. I couldn't just sit down and write anything I felt like and it would turn into some masterpiece and people would pick it up. Instead, I had a valuable lesson in life where I learned that if you were in a room full of people and they all had one question, but you were the only person in that room that knew the answer, it didn't matter how good of an orator you were, how prepared your answer is. So long as you gave them the answer, you were it. And that's really What helped me, shall I say, pivot to a successful online career was understanding what it was people wanted, understanding the market, and then being able to write for those people. And when I started doing that, somebody who, you know, is plagued with dyslexia, always believed he couldn't write, was starting to create best-selling books. And it was from that point, I created Kindlepreneur.com to help teach people about how to understand Amazon's market and what's going on and, and what is it that people and readers want but aren't getting. And then from there, I created software to do exactly that. Yeah. And you also have a military background, right? You kind of started this writing process while you were in the military or shortly thereafter? That's correct. Yeah. I used to be on submarines. And then after that, I transitioned into being a military diplomat. But the bummer part was the first assignment I got was I was sent to South Korea and they told me that it had to be without my family. So I spent two years without my wife and kids. And my wife had a very important talk with me once. And she just said, hey, you know, I'm cool with the whole military sacrifice and everything, but what are we doing it for? Like, is there some goal? And I sat there and I thought to myself, and I was like, ah, no, not really. And she's like, well, do you want to be an admiral? And I'm like, no, 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 no. And she's like, well, then what is it? And I didn't have an answer for her. And so she said, you know, you're going to be spending a lot more sacrifice, a lot more time away from our kids. And is that really what you want? Is that really what is our definition of success. And when she told me that, that's when I realized I needed to look for something for me to build some revenue stream, something that would allow me to get out of the military. I needed an exit plan. And with my background, I could get out of the military, but I'd probably fall right into another job like the military where I was traveling. 
And when you're on the other side of the world, what can you do? You can't start a brick and mortar business. You can't, you know, create something that requires you to be up when Americans are up. I needed something that I could do when I had free time to do it and wouldn't require me at all times. And I just fell into books. And matter of fact, I wrote my first book while on board a South Korean warship. So it just goes to show you can write anywhere. Oh, wow. And how many books do you have now? I have nine. Okay. And they're all fiction. Is that correct? Fiction and nonfiction, actually. Mainly nonfiction. I started with nonfiction because with nonfiction, it was easier to understand a pain point that people had and to be able to find the answer for them. And then to understand demographics, you know, a very powerful lesson to this is making sure that you understand who the demographic is. What I mean by this is a prime example was a couple of years ago, I did my research and I was ready to write a book on Evernote. Now, Evernote is a software that a lot of people use to collect their notes and their research. I use it a lot for when I'm writing and it was huge. People were just wanting it. The problem is, is that there were like a million books on Evernote. So I could either A, try to write the greatest Evernote book and, and, and try to beat out thousands of people, which I can't because I'm not that good. Or I could try to understand how to fit towards a market. And I did my research and I found out that there were a lot of people going to Amazon and typing in terms like Evernote for teachers, Evernote for students, Evernote for project managers, Evernote for lawyers. And I could sit down and I could take that information and translate it for that target market. And if I'm the only book that is truly developed for those people, then I assure you, I would get the conversion. People would buy my book because I'm speaking to them. So just that one example is kind of showing how I didn't have to be the best, but I could get in front of the right people. And I think my writing was better because I knew who I was writing for. I wasn't writing for everybody. I was writing for somebody. So I started a lot in nonfiction and then I moved into to doing fiction. And that's just been, you know, kind of I would say that's more of a hobby because I'm a diehard sci-fi fan. I, I've had the privilege of working with Orson Scott Card, soon to be Brandon Sanderson, and a whole bunch of others in the fantasy and sci-fi world. And so that just really kickstarted me off of it. Because I'll, I'll tell you this, you really need to learn the trade and the art of fiction. Uh, you cannot just go in there and write from the seam of your pants and make something happen. So that's been something that's happened over time. But through my understanding of Amazon and marketing, it's allowed me to get my stories out there, which has been fun. I've tried looking for your books on Amazon by typing your name in, but I think maybe you mentioned at one time it's under a pen name or something and and you don't give that out. So that's that's why I can't yeah. find you, I guess. Yeah. The, the, well, it's funny is, is that when I first started writing, and this is the beautiful thing about pen names, is that you can truly write under a pen name. I just want everybody listening to understand that. And there are a lot of wonderful reasons for why you would do that. Some people write in romance and they really don't don't want to cross the streams of their personal life and, and the romance life. They enjoy romance, but they don't want to embody it, you know, is, is one thing. Another thing, my particular thing was, is that I was working for the U.S. Embassy at the time, and they have very strict policies on what you can and can't sell, okay? If I were to write under my name at that time, I'd have to put on every book and everything I did that says, these are the opinions of Dave Chesson and do not reflect the United States government in any way, shape, or form. Like, you know, it's like, oh, it's kind of a buzzkill. The worry was, was that somebody... You know, when you're in diplomacy, somebody could be convinced to buy up a whole bunch of your books and, you know, and all that, right? And they just they just don't want a part of that. So I started off doing it that way. But then what happened was, was that as I created Kindlepreneur, I realized that for all the people that talk about book marketing, there are a lot of great people out there that have great strategies. However, though, because they're famous in their books and they have a huge email list, you know, and a following and fans, 
when they come out with their next book, they use the momentum of what they've done. And it, and let me tell you, anybody listening, it's a phenomenal strategy. You should work towards building that. However, though, when I build my next book, I start from scratch. I have to start from the trenches. And it's really helped me to hone my skill. It's helped me to not rely on past successes and that it keeps me on kind of the cutting edge of Amazon book marketing because I have to start over just like everybody who's starting right now. And so when I started doing that, I said, you know, this is really a neat proposition. And so I've kind of kept with that. And that's why I don't publish them, but I do publish uh, proof of my success. So it's to make sure it's a quantifier. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I know Joanna Penn in particular. She has like three pen names, her name and then like her initials and then another one for romance. So I know yeah, yeah. a lot of people do that. So yeah, David Gogren is another phenomenal writer and he just wrote his first science fiction book and he will not tell anyone who it is because he wants to record it without his previous success, which I'm really bummed because A, I'm a diehard sci-fi fan and B, David Gogren is a phenomenal writer as well as champion of the self-publishing world and book marketing. And it's just like, come on, dude, I want to read your book. But I'm like, that's cool. That's cool. I'll respect it. So <laughs> yeah, I've read a, a few of his books on like the BookBub one, I believe, yes. and, and some others. So with Publisher Rocket, can you explain to the audience what exactly that is and how it helps authors? Sure. Well, honestly, it's a window into Amazon. I, I guess that's really a great way to put it. Through it, you can find out what it is people are searching for, which books that they're they're purchasing. You know, why is this book being shown over that book? It's also a really awesome tool for helping you to find your categories and your keywords. Now, the crazy part about Amazon is they have 14,000 plus categories. And what's even crazier is they don't list them anywhere. So a lot of authors have to jump around looking for them. And categories play an important role, especially for getting becoming a bestseller, because out of those 14,000 categories, some categories, if you choose some, you'll never be a bestseller, like not even close. You'd have to sell thousands of books to, to rank number one for it. But there are other categories out there that truly fit your book that maybe only need a couple of sales and you get the bestseller tag. So, I mean, it's it's just like I said, it's a major window into understanding Amazon and understanding how your niche or your subject is doing and how to get your book in front of more shoppers. Yeah, I actually use it. And I would say of all of the products, tools, services, uh, resources that are out there for self-publishing, I think that this is the number one thing that you have to have, <laughs> at least if you're publishing through Amazon, for sure. And I've used it for my books, and it definitely helps. The, the only thing that and this has nothing to do with Publisher Rocket, but my I tried to do an ad for one of my books and it kept getting declined saying, well, okay, so my first book was called Frugalpreneur, How to Launch, Manage, and Market Your Online Business for Under $100 Per Month. And nice it kept, I like that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and it kept getting declined because they said that I guess the subtitle of it was too, what is the word they used? It, like it makes a promise or something, I guess, because it says under 100 a month. So I kind of went back and forth on whether or not to change the subtitle just so I could do ads. But I was like, oh, but I really like the subtitle. So I haven't done it yet. And I don't know if I will. But well, the key is, and this is a lesson for anybody working with Amazon is say a term and I, I want you I'm, I'm going to explain why I say this term and I think it will make sense. I call them the Amazon humans. And no, that's not a derogatory term. And in a PC world, I just want people to understand this because Amazon is a giant 
system, okay? And they have these automatic triggers. And when it triggers, a human looks at it. And the human is the most inconsistent thing of Amazon, okay? When you get a human to look at it, I'm pretty sure a lot of them are outside of the United States making decisions on US markets. A lot of them don't understand the nuances of terms. And a lot of them also might be new to the job and not know what the, what the actual requirements are. It is so frustrating. You can get one human who is like adamant, nope, that is a promise. And so therefore, I'm not going to let it happen. And then you get the next human like, yeah, good to go. You know, it's it's so another thing, too, is like you can change your categories. It is a known thing that you can change your categories and add categories beyond 10 categories per book. But you may do the exact process that's out there to do this. And you'll get the one human that comes in and says, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to change categories. So what I tell people is go ahead and resubmit it. Do it again because you'll get a different human. And then the next human, it, no kidding, it's like clockwork. The next time you submit it, the person's like, oh, no problem. I've changed all your categories and I've added all of those categories. Do you need anything else? <laughs> it's like, so I did. I had a book that I had uh, published actually a couple of months ago and I had somebody fighting me saying that I had a copyright term inside of my title. And I'm like, nope, there is no copyright on that term. And there's and I, I laid out the most layman's explanation of why that is an egregious error on their part. And uh, the person responded back and just copy and paste and then said, nope, here's the, here's the rules of the policy or, you know, and so forth. So I was like, you know, what, fine. So I stopped responding to that human and I just resubmitted it. And no kidding. And I mean, by the way, there was a lot of response back forth. But when I resubmitted it, the next email I got was congratulations, your book is published. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Humans. And- <laughs> yeah, humans are worse than robots sometimes. Well, I resubmitted it several times, at least a handful, if not more, you know, with the assumption that, well, I'm going to get somebody else, you know, and and I think I did get somebody else each time, but they still were saying no. But that was several months ago. And I don't know, I may try it again and see. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that subtitle. I like the subtitle because it's very clear what your book does, what it teaches, and more importantly, what the result is. Mm-hmm. And then finally, that under $100, I think that's a demographic term. Uh, you have quantified this by saying that these are people starting up, that these are people self-conscientious about how much they they spend. You know, and I, I think that's incredible. So I re- that's why I just, I sort of interrupted you and I apologize on that, but I interrupted you to say, that's a great subtitle because a lot of people who write in nonfiction, they don't see the value of that subtitle. What I tell people is when you go to Amazon, right? As a shopper, just, just let's go through this journey together. You go to Amazon, you type something in, Amazon presents you with a list of, of books, okay, in this case. Now, we as shoppers, we, we initially look at the cover And the cover's got to trigger us, right? It's got to feel like it's the right thing. And our eyes will shoot over to the title and subtitle. But here's the most important part. If I, and especially for nonfiction, if I can't look at the cover, title, and subtitle and know what this is, what it does, what the results are, and who it's for, if I can't answer all four of those things, I am less likely to click on it. And the more broad it is, the like as in the further it is from truly being for me, the less chance I will click on it, okay? And if if you have something that's confusing, you have something that's not quite right, or you're just way too broad and you're not fitting anybody, your book will fail, okay? It will fail unless you win the lottery and, and you just wrote the most incredible book and word gets around and next thing you know, you're selling. See, the thing is, is that I could go through a whole bunch of examples. Like well, here's, here's one great example. Somebody had decided to write a book on how to write. 
And the title was How to Write. And then the subtitle was something to the lines of, of, you know, be clear, be strong, and, you know, something or other. Well, from the cover, it showed a picture of a typewriter. So I've told you title, subtitle, and basically what's on the cover. Does this feel like this would be the quintessential book for writing? Probably not. What's even worse was that the book was specific on how to write speeches. I have no idea if that book on writing your speech and and being a good orator, if you will, was a great book or not. But you know what? You would have to look at that cover, look at that title, subtitle, click on it, and then read the book description to figure out what it actually was. I assure you that book made little to no money. And maybe that book was the best book on writing speeches. We'll never know. So make sure that it's very clear. And the more clear you are, the better. As as uh, Donald Miller of StoryBrand always says, if you confuse, you lose. That's right. Yeah. It's funny because the last like handful almost of podcast interviews I've done, they keep bringing up Donald Miller's book. And I have it in my Amazon save for later list. But I'm thinking I probably need to go ahead and get that because everyone keeps bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, I I love Donald Miller. He actually lives here in a Franklin, Nashville area. And I love that book, uh, Story Brand, so much that I then took the in-person class, thought it was absolutely wonderful. It really helps you to connect and understand and tell the story that your customers want. And on top of that, too, I would say I'm a huge fan of his memoir called uh, Blue Like Jazz, which was a multi-New York Times bestselling book. Just absolutely incredible. So... Yeah, I'm familiar with that book. I haven't read it, but I know that it was really popular. So do you have tips as far as ads or picking categories and whatnot? Like if someone wanted to try doing that without Publisher Rocket, which is crazy because I think Publisher Rocket is affordable. It's only a one-time fee of 97 and it's I mean, the value that you get out of it. But, you know, there's going to be some people, I suppose, that will want to try to do it on their own. No problem. Yeah. One big thing about it is, is that, you know, you, so Amazon doesn't list out the 14,000 categories out there. As a matter of fact, when you go to publish your book, Amazon will present you with the box and they'll say, pick a category. Those aren't actually Amazon categories they're listing. Those are called BISACs, completely different subject we can get into at another time, but you choose the BISACs and then Amazon puts you in certain categories. The categories they put you in are like usually the most competitive of all. So there really isn't a good way to find all the 14,000 categories. You can click on books and then scroll down onto the book sales page and look to see which categories they're listed for. But Amazon will only choose to show you three, uh, which three you have no idea, you know, and, and also the three could change sometimes. But the point is, is like when you are looking for categories, the first thing I would say is that you should look for a category that really fits your book. Okay, that you know that your book truly is a match for that. So don't write a romance and put it under nonfiction cooking. The second thing is, is that you want to give your book two things. You want to give your book the best chance to be a bestseller because when you do that, your book gets that nice bestseller tag. It sticks out in the search results. It it makes customers have social proof for your book and think that it must be a great book since you know it's best selling. The second thing is you want to put it in categories where people actually go to the category and shop. You know, these are popular categories. You want to be rubbing elbows, you know, next to the Stephen Kings and things like that. It's a wonderful thing. But so you want both of those. Luckily you get 10 plus categories to choose from. So find categories that fit and then out of those that fit find the ones that give you the best chance to be a bestseller and then find the ones that you think are popular and create a giant list of that. In order to find out which ones give you the best chance of being a bestseller, there is a tactic you can use. First off, 
find the number one bestseller in that category, then find its Amazon bestseller rank, which is the bestseller rank. So it's not number one because number one would be the category rank, but the Amazon bestseller rank is the rank out of the entire store of Amazon. Take that, Google the term Kindle calculator. I have a free calculator on Kindlepreneur where you can put that Amazon bestseller rank into it and it will tell you how many books that day the book sold. Now what you know is how many books would you need to sell today in order to be the number one bestseller in that category. So you can go ahead and create a huge list of all the categories out there, pump them through that calculator, and then find out which one gives you the best chance to be a bestseller. Or you can just go to Publisher Rocket if you have it, and it's got a super easy way. It can lay out all the categories. It could break it down. You could easily do searches. You could break them down between ebook and book, and it will tell you straight up how many books that day you need to sell in order to be number one and how many you need to sell that day in order to be in number 10. So that way you can be in the top 10 list. So that is categories. Now with Amazon ads, just to give every kind of everybody a step back, Amazon ads is basically a way where you're telling Amazon, hey, Amazon, I want my book to show up for these terms. Okay, so when people type in this phrase or things like this, I want you to push my book and show it in front of them. Okay, right at the top, maybe on the sales page, whatever, but get in front of them. And if you do this and you convince somebody, a shopper, to click on my book, I'll pay you somewhere between, you know, 10 cents to a dollar. You get to choose how much. You can even say no more than 55 cents, whatever it be, whatever it's worth to you. So then Amazon turns around and they get to work to get your book in front of those people. And it's a wonderful opportunity because there are a lot of authors out there that tell me all the time, you know, I've written this great book and I know if I could just get in front of people, it it would do well. Well, now you can't. And Amazon ads is kind of like, if you imagine it going back to old school, it's like convincing Barnes and Noble to put your book right there in the front entryway so that when everybody walks in, they see it or to convince Barnes and Noble to put yours at the end of the aisle for sci-fi for your sci-fi book. Like again, this is just positioning your book more. So it's an absolutely wonderful advert. Now those getting involved in it, I have a free course out there called amscourse.com. You can take it. It's a video course, shows you how to do it by hand. Also shows you how Rocket can help as well. But that should give you all of kind of the strategy and understanding of what Amazon is doing and why they're doing it. Yeah, I love that course. Uh, I took it several months ago, but I was thinking, you know what I need, because I'm writing my third book right now. And so I'm like, very cool. (laughs) I need to take that course again. It's almost like you need a refresher every time you put out a book almost. (laughs) Yeah, it's well, that's the thing is, is I look at Amazon ads as kind of like a skill, you know, especially if you're going to be writing more than one book, digging into it and really developing a skill is about two things. It's about building knowledge. So understanding what you're doing and then gaining experience. And the more experience you get into it, the more intuition you'll have. And through the intuition, you'll make faster, better decisions. Like for example, I have a lot of intuition on when to cut out uh, a campaign because I know that is not working. I don't need to let it keep running to figure it out, but I also know to give it more time. Like there's just certain parts to this where you just kind of get a feel. You get a feel for when it's not in the right direction. But again, I think it really comes down to saying, you know what, this platform gives me the capability to get my book in front of people I want. I just got to figure it out. And if you sit down and you truly approach it from that, you will gain that intuition and skill. And the next book and the next book comes out, it'll just become easier and easier for you. And some people might be wondering, well, the advantages and disadvantages of self-publishing over traditional publishing. And I think, first of all, this alone, having these tools, because if you traditionally publish, you don't really have control over Amazon ads, Amazon keywords, all that stuff, as far as I understand. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that's most of the time correct. There is a way for publishers to grant an author the ability to do advertisement for their own book, but 99.9% of them are reluctant to do that. You know, so I've, I've actually done a lot of consulting for publishing companies. And I think a big thing was, was, you know, Rocket has taken off within the publishing world as well. And so, and it's always, you know, brought in to kind of talk about the numbers and things. I have sat in on the board meetings where they're discussing which books they're going to take on and what they're doing. And so I won't say which names I've, I've been a part of because this will be a bit of a, shall we say, an eye opener to the process. But anybody who's been a part of publishers, first, I want to start by saying that there are, there's like the five big ones, right? The big, the big five. And then there's another, then the next sector down is some legitimate ones. Some of them are owned by the big five. They're just like, just step down. And then there's a group of publishers that are vanity publishing where you're paying them and they just kind of do something to make you feel good, but they're never going to help you. Some people call it scam. Sometimes it's you, you pay what you get for, whatever it be. There's another group where it's like somebody starting up a publishing company. They're kind of new. So that's kind of the flavors of publishing companies that are out there. So what I'm about to describe, though, is I would say I would be the first two, the big five and you know the legitimate, the other legitimate ones that are under the big five. And what they do is they have a quota for a quarter, okay? In this quarter, we're going to take on 20 books. And so the editors go and they try to find 20 books. Out of those 20 books that they sign, okay, there's maybe one or two books that they actually have the money or the resources available to really push and publish that book, you know? To the other 18 or so, they'll help you, you know, they'll put together a, a cover, you know, they'll format it, they'll kind of do some things here and there. And then the next thing they they turn around and they say to the author, great, we need you to sell 20,000 copies by next quarter. And the author's like, wait, I, you guys are the publishing, co- I'm giving you 70%. What, what, like, what, what's the deal here? And they're like, well, you know, we're going to do some things too, but we really want to see what you do, you know? And if you don't hit that mark, they're going to drop you. And by drop you, they keep your book, but they stop answering your emails. And that's why a lot of authors get really frustrated. Now, if you're the one or two that we talked about on the other hand, you've got the might of the publishing company behind you. They're still going to be like working with you and making sure you're working to sell it, but they're also doing a lot themselves. So one of the things that I've noticed, and this is really huge to any authors listening that are thinking about becoming a publisher through one of these, you know, legitimate slash larger, powerful ones, et cetera, is that they love either A, you're famous already. Okay, sure. Okay, got it. You have published books, you've made lots of money, or you published through them and you were successful, et cetera. Cool. But the other things they look for is how large is your email list? Because to them, that's currency. If you come in and you've got like 15,000 person email list for your subject matter, they are down. You equate to say that 15,000 equates to automatic sales in their mind. How big is your following? Do you have a social following? You know, what numbers can you show them to say, hey, this is a better horse to back than these others? So if you are out there saying you want to land one of these, one of the things I'd highly recommend is A, make sure to build up that email list. Do not undervalue that email list because the publishers care about it and they care about it because the truth of the matter is it makes money, period. The second thing is that understand that even if you are one of those two books, you're still going to have to market your book. You're still going to have to get into it. You would need to be an award-winning, super famous author to be able to just sit down and write and have the publishing company magically take care of everything and you just kind of have to wave your hand. That is rare. Even the ones where they're a New York Times bestseller, you know, and they've got a couple of books, those guys got to roll up their sleeve and they got to get to work after the books come out. So 
understand that hoping that you can just write the book and never have to market it, you're still going to have to learn the marketing. Uh, Yeah, I've heard that as well. And so there's that disadvantage. And then also, first of all, if they even accept your book, the amount of time that it takes for them to actually put it out there, I've heard one year, three years, whatever. And especially if you're writing a nonfiction book, there's the likelihood that whatever you're writing about is no longer relevant or as relevant by the time they get around to releasing it. So I absolutely I a buddy of mine, he Kevin J. Anderson, he finished the Dune series after Frank Herbert died. He also wrote a bunch of Jedi Academy books. Well, he came out with this great fantasy book called Spine of the Dragon. And I finished it. And then I, I saw him at one of one of the events. And I'm like, Yo, Kevin, I was like, when's the next book done? He's like, oh, I already wrote it. And I was like, great. And where is it? He's like, well, my wife's editing it. I was like, awesome. So then I'm cool. So like next month he goes, no, like. 2021, maybe 2022. I'm like, wait, what? Like, you're just finishing editing it. And they're like, yeah, the the publishing company said they'll publish it in 2021 and 2022. And I'm like, Kevin, I'll have forgotten about the first, I'll have to reread the first book. My, my, my brain doesn't go that long. He's like, welcome to the publishing world, Dave. I'm like, ugh, I caramba. <laughs> so have you ever considered going traditional with any of your books? No, you know, because the fact of the matter is, is that if I go traditional, I have to sacrifice 70% of my, my revenue because mm-hmm. that's that. And I, that's a pretty good deal. There's a lot of people that are only taking 15%, you know, whereas like, I'm pretty sure I could strong arm somebody for, for a better deal. However, though, why I've kind of established my marketing capability. And when I've kind of run through the numbers, I don't see myself making more money. I don't see, I mean... Maybe I get to have a, you know, I'll, I'll admit there is a bit of a, you know, well, I'm a published author, you know, <laughs> like there's a little hubris in, in being able to say that. But what I will say is publishing companies and the literary world is accepting self-publishing more and more. As a matter of fact, more published authors are moving into the self-published world because they know that their name carries. I mean, just imagine if Stephen King was like, you know what, I'm just going to publish a book and self-publish it. People would buy it. You know, especially if he's got that email list and he would get 70% instead of 15, 20 or whatever it is that he takes, you know. And so a lot of authors, maybe Stephen King doesn't want to worry about any of that. Sure. But there are a lot of authors out there that start scratching their heads and saying, you know, I'm doing most of the work here. Why? Why not? And so I feel like I don't see the value that would be added at this point other than just kind of the cool factor. And I kind of like revenue better than than the cool factor. Yeah, I've heard of a lot of authors who have done both, like Hal Elrod, for example, and they said that they would never do traditional again and went back to self-publishing. So, Yes. Yeah. I know Hal's story personally and with Honoré Quarter, who, who works with his books now, I mean, it's just such a better system for him and a lot better revenue, that's for sure. What is your opinion on whether or not to enroll in KDP Select? Because I've done it both ways. And it for me, it seemed like when I was in KDP Select, it helped initially, but then very quickly, it, it didn't really do anything. Yeah. So first off, so for the listeners out there, when you go to publish your book, you get to set your book up for something called KDP Select or not. If you choose KDP Select, then what you mean, what you tell Amazon is that you will exclusively sell your ebook 
only on Amazon. You cannot put it on any other market. But if you do that, then you get a couple of cool things. First off is, is that you can set your book to free for a certain time period, which that may sound terrible to some of you guys, but actually you can use it as kind of a marketing push and so forth. You can also do like a Kindle countdown where you can set your book to like 99 cents for like a certain period of time. So you can use that marketing, you know, to be like, oh man, get the book in five more days before, you know, it goes back to the normal price. And then the other thing is, is that you can set up your book for Kindle Unlimited. And Kindle Unlimited is a program where avid readers pay, what is it, like 15 bucks, I think, a month. And when they do this, every month, they have like 10 downloads at a time. If there's a book that's under KU, they can download it for free. And the way that authors make money from this is that based off of how many of your pages are read by a KU reader, you get a certain amount of money. And that's based off of the total pool. So with that said, if you choose KU, okay, or Kindle Select, you get all those things I talked about. But you cannot put your book, your ebook on iTunes, Barnes and Noble, Kobo and Drafted Digital. And if you don't, then you can put it on there. Now, I'll tell you this is that the other markets, OK, we'll call it going wide. They really are small potatoes compared to Amazon. In general, I've seen for me and I, I work pretty hard in, in the wide area. I get about 30 percent of my revenue from markets other than Amazon and 70 percent from Amazon. That being said, there is a pro and con to each. If I were to speak generally, okay, to give general advice and, you know, my honest consulting response would be, it depends. And then I'd have to hear your specific story in order to give it. But here's the general rule of thumbs. If you're in fiction, I recommend you do KU. If you're in nonfiction, I'd recommend not doing KU. That's an easy go, no go. And here's why. The people who pay for KU, okay, the people, the mass majority of them are avid fiction readers, okay? They crush through a couple of books, you know, a week, even more so in romance, like genres like that, right? Where there are a lot of people, stay-at-home people who escape to their romance books, et cetera. I mean, those people will go through lots of books. And here's why KU can help you is that those people, when they go to Amazon, are they really going to pay $2.99 for this book that isn't KU or will they choose the book under it that is KU where they don't have to pay for it? And at that point, your priced book is getting skipped by the KU readers because why pay for it? They already paid their 15 bucks for their KU subscription. Now, this has a tertiary effect in the book marketing world that Amazon consistently sees shoppers skip certain books and pick others. And those books show a higher popularity to Amazon. And so Amazon will start to show those books more often. And this is why a lot of authors out there think that Amazon gives preferential treatment to KU books. But the truth of the matter is they're just reading that the shoppers are choosing KU books over non-KU books. And that's why the KU books seem to show up more often is because of it. So there's a lot to think about there. But again, if I were to give a general rule of thumb, I would generally advise a fiction author to to really start with KU and a nonfiction author to not do it. That's a good way to break it down. I haven't heard anyone break it down that easily or that easy to understand. It's usually more complicated. So I only write nonfiction, so that definitely helps me. I think for every book I do, I'll probably do KDP Select once just, mm -hmm. you know, to test it out, try it out. Probably not initially. I think what I've started to do is like, I'll go wide initially, and then when sales kind of start to die down, then I enroll it in to KDP Select so that I can submit the book to those various sites that do like the free or 99 cent. Basically, they send out an email to all their followers like, this book is 
free for five days or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so then I'm in it for 90 days. And then after that, I usually get out and stay wide. That's what I've done so far. And it seems to be working. But I was thinking like, well, should I even bother? But that's a good input there. I think that'll help people decipher what to do and, and whatnot. But I mean, always testing and trying it out is probably worth it, at least for one block of 90 days. Yeah, right. So when a book starts to lose popularity or what would you suggest other than, I suppose, ads to get back out there, like just maybe changing up keywords or trying different methods like that? Or what's the best way to kind of breathe new life into it? Well, so the first thing I like to ask myself is why why did it lose momentum? Was it something I did or didn't do? Was there a problem with the book? You know, we just talked about this person who had that, you know, typewriter cover that was all about writing, you know, and some very vague, broad subtitle. I mean, you could do the giant push into ads, you could do all these extra things and it will still fail and flop because you didn't correct the problem. So one of the things that I, I asked the person is stop asking your friends and family what they think of the book. Find people that are your target market and ask them what they think. And if they start asking you way too many questions, then obviously you're not delivering enough, whether that's in your cover, subtitle, title, and also your book description. Those things are key. One thing I also love to do is that when I do Amazon ads, I like to use Amazon ads as a way to help me find where the problem is. You see, when I set up my Amazon ads, I get to see how many shoppers saw my book. And out of all those people, I see how many people clicked on my book. And then out of those people, I get to see how many people bought my book. Now, if you had 200,000 people see your book and not one of them clicked on it, there's a very good chance that your cover title and subtitle has some kind of problem with it. That nobody was out of 200,000 people, not one per... Let me, let me restate this. 200,000 people that are there on Amazon to buy a book in the general subject matter of what you're talking about and not one of them even care to click on it. I mean, that's that's key. That's good knowledge right there. And you should really relook at your cover. Is it too bland? Is it too, you know, blase? Does it not stick out? You know, look at your title, subtitle. Is it confusing? Do I know who this is? Can I refine it so that it, it's more clear as to what this does? All right. Now, if you see that you're having people clicking on it, but none of them are buying it, then that's a clear indication that your book description is not convincing them that this is the book for them, that this is the one that that will help. And quite frankly, I see most of the time the book description is usually the biggest culprit. You know, if you if after a couple glasses of bourbon, you ask an author, you know, how long did you spend on that book description? Most of them will say, oh, I don't know, like 30 minutes, maybe. I mean, it's like a blurb. The fact of the matter is, is like that's your last statement to a shopper that they should buy this book. It should not be you know, the thing you threw together right before you published the book. So once you start looking at some of these other cell publishers that aren't big time professionals or really good at what they're doing that are struggling, you'll start to read these book descriptions and be like, oh gosh, no, I I, I wouldn't purchase this book. Like, I, I don't even know what this is about. Or, hey, this is a book report, not a book description. <laughs> you know, I now I know the whole story. Or this doesn't sound like it's for me. It doesn't sound like it fits my pain point. It doesn't use any of my words uh, when I describe what I'm going through. So obviously this isn't for me. So I like to use Amazon ads to find out where the problem is, because if you don't solve that first, you may be in this crazy OODA loop wheel where you constantly try to pivot from one traffic generating traffic to another, only to find out that the real problem lies on your Amazon sales page. 
Yeah. So with, for example, for that book, Frugalpreneur, it did well initially, but then it, but see, I haven't ever been able to run ads on it because of what they keep declining it. So I'm going to try submitting it again. But so is it kind of like when a new book comes out, Amazon will give it juice, I guess. I don't know what word to use initially, regardless of whether or not you run ads. But then after a while, if you're not doing ads, it just kind of it's hard for people to find and search results and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I call it the Amazon honeymoon period. When you first publish your book, I think Amazon just gives us the benefit out. Oh, you're a new book. Hey, let's let's work extra hard to get you in front to like, you know, kickstart it. The newer books usually get a little bit more Amazon love. But then as Amazon puts you out there, as in you're showing up for for certain searches, you know, for certain keywords and you're getting in front of shoppers. And if they start to see that you're not making sales, that you're not converting, then they'll quickly turn to the next new book. Okay, you'll start to show up for less and less and less until you finally hit wherever it is, you know, they think you should be. So this is why when you go to launch your book, it's really important that you don't just make all of your big launch sales within one day or two days, but instead you make you try to spread out as much of your effort over a couple of weeks so that Amazon sees that you're consistently making sales. One of the things we did an experiment at at Kindlepreneur and found the results was that a book that sells a thousand books on the first day of launch, but nothing after that for the month and a book that sells 30 books a a day, you know, for for 10 days, right? Or excuse me, I guess my math is really off here, sells ultimately a thousand books in one month, but spread out over those 30 days. That book right there will actually have more love and have more popularity in Amazon eyes than the other. Sure, they both sold the same amount, but one was in one day and the the other was throughout 30 days. Which one do you think is more popular? The one that sold a thousand in one day and then nothing after that? or the one that's consistently selling. So when we set up our launch plans, it's very important for us to try to create it so that we're consistently selling. You know, if you have an email list, break up your email list. Don't send one email to everybody on the first day. You know, if if you launch your book, don't do your email list on the first day, your Facebook blasts on the first day, your Amazon ads on the first day, you're on and on and on. Try to section it off. And so this is one way to really combat that post-honeymoon departum. Okay, yeah, because usually you hear people say, like, do all that stuff, like, do a big launch and get all these purchases and reviews and this, that and the other. But yeah, that makes sense to try to spread it out. So what is your opinion then on arcs and reviews and all of that either prior to the official launch or within the first however many days? I think it's really important to get Amazon reviews as soon as you can. And the best way to do that is that you do send out arcs to readers because some, you know, let's face it, people need to read the book before they can leave a review. And so I either have a street team, I have people that I trust, you know, or I have people that I know love this genre. I will send out the arcs to them so that they can get an advanced review copy, which Amazon is totally cool with. Yes, they 100% are. I've got a video on YouTube that proves this. They flat out say, you are allowed to send ARCs to people in order for reviews. Their vice president of customer services, his name is no kidding, Chichu, like no joke, flat out said that ARCs are 100% cool, especially for the old traditional purpose, you know, for publishing to get reviews. So anybody listening, know you 100% can do it. Send out the ARCs. And then that way, when you go to publish your book, let those ARC receivers know so that they can go to Amazon and publish reviews. 
What I personally like to do is I will say launch my book on Wednesday, but I won't inform anybody. I will turn to all my ARC reviewers and let them know, hey, would you mind sending, you know, submitting your reviews on it? Okay. I will do whatever, you know, to get some reviews. That way on Thursday, and, and by the way, if I need to push back, I'll make a Friday. But on Thursday, I will then do my mass art market because the first people to show up will, you know, the first people quote unquote to show up will be those who see there's already reviews on this brand new book. Nobody wants to be the first to plunge into the pool, right? You know, people are going to dip their toes in there. They want to see other people swimming before they just dive in. And therefore, it's very important to get those reviews as soon as you can. And you can't really do that without ARCs. Are there particular websites that you recommend? Of course, having your own launch or street team. But aside from that, I've used like, oh, what is it? Is it Booksprout, I believe? Booksprout is a good one. There's a couple names that are escaping me. Books Go Social, I think, has one as well that will kind of help you. You can do it through NetGalley. There's a bunch of services out there that will help you. But one of the things that I like to do personally, is that as I'm writing my next, you know, especially with nonfiction too, but as I'm writing my nonfiction, I like to really get in contact with people I'm writing it for. If I were to have done that Evernote for lawyers, you better believe that I would be talking to lawyers out there just to understand what it is their biggest pain point is. It helps me with writing better book descriptions, but also too, it makes sure that I'm writing a better book for them. And as I do that, in essence, they kind of have buy-in into the book because they're helping me. And so in this case, then, you know, I'll just ask them if they'd be willing to do that, because this is something they were kind of a part of. So you can you can start building that. If you are in the sci-fi world, you're writing fiction, you're probably a part of forums, and you're probably a part of Facebook groups for sci-fi writers and just science fiction in general. That can be an area where, you know, you can start asking things like, what's your least favorite trope. And then you get a whole bunch of responses. Let me tell you, that one's a good one. What's your favorite trope? You know, and you can start to develop relationships and find people that would be interested in reading your book. And what I would say to to authors out there that are trying this marketing tactic, whatever you do, wherever you go, do not start off with the whole, here's my book. Anybody want to read it? Nobody wants to. It's not going to happen. You need to build a relationship. You really do. You need to be a presence. There are people out there who, to this day, I tell them they have a blank check with me because from the beginning, they've always been there and they were there from when I was, I was small, but they were always there. And it's through that goodwill that I know that they were great people that I'm more than happy to do anything for them. But if the first thing you do when I meet you is turn and say, Hey, would you mind promoting my book? You know, or, or, Hey, would you mind emailing about my book? I'm like, dude, I don't even know you. Like what? Like, so don't just jump in there slinging your book around, go in there, be a great presence, develop friends, you know, develop connections, a network. And then when the time comes right, people will want to read your book. They will want to leave a review. And that way you're not having to be a sleazy, scummy marketer. You know, you're not having to pull teeth. They want to help you. Well, that's awesome. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on that I hadn't asked about yet? No, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. I appreciate your time. And oh, one question I did have, are you working on bringing back the podcast? Because I miss it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those where I go back and forth. I, you know, it's funny is, is that I started developing the podcast as a great way to kind of teach for people who are on the go. But what's funny is, is that I, because a lot of the time it's just me on it recording, I always felt like super weird that there was nobody there. And so I'm like speaking into like 
my computer monitor. So I, I'll admit it was my least favorite thing to make. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hear a lot of people ask me that. So I, I think I just got to grip my teeth, you know, suck it up, buttercup and make it happen. <laughs> yeah, you sent out that survey recently. And I think that was one of the questions, like a multiple choice, like what if I could do one thing? Anyway, the podcast, bring back the podcast was on one of was one of the answers. And that's the one I picked. <laughs> oh, very cool. Well, thank you. Well, if anyone wants to learn more, they can go to kindlepreneur.com or publisherrocket.com. And then that free course is at amscourse.com. And then there's some other free tools uh, like the calculator and whatnot on kindlepreneur.com. And then I'll also have show notes at the sarahstjohn.com forward slash Dave. Well, I appreciate your time today. Yeah, well, and thank you for having me. <laughs> it's kind of fun because I'm frugalpreneur, you're Kindlepreneur. I've noticed lately that there's a lot of blankpreneur, whatever, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like the new thing, it seems. I think you were a little bit more ahead of the game than most people. But, <laughs> like there's Chris Chris Ducker with Youpreneur and yeah. <laughs> uh, I lied to say that came after mine. No. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's it's funny is like when you become, I guess, the OG or something like that, you know, but no, it's people were doing that well before me as well. It's a great I think it's you were talking about titles and subtitles. And the truth of the matter is, is that just from what you say when you say that is, yeah, Kindle entrepreneur. I'm not here to, to teach you how to craft a better sentence, but I am here to teach you how to make money from your Kindle, from your book sales. And so just like, you know, I can immediately tell what, what it is you do and focus on just by yours. It's a wonderful mm -hmm. combination. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.